Hello, hackers. Buckle in. You're about to have the time of your freaking lives. This is the Hacker Noon Podcast, and my name is Amy Tom. Today, I am joined with Pavel. Pavel, would you please introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Hi, everyone. So I'm Pavel Denisiuk. I'm a co-founder and CTO at a company called Webini. We are building an open source framework for full stack application development on top of serverless infrastructure. And uh, my co-founder Sven and I have been working closely together for over 10 years running a web agency. We were always looking for better ways to build applications, deliver projects faster with better quality. And then serverless came around and it felt like a natural uh, step for us. So that's how WebAnit came to be. And can you describe a little bit more about what WebAnit does? It's a framework which you use to bootstrap and deploy your applications into AWS currently. We are also aiming at supporting other clouds down the line, but at this point we are 100% focused on AWS. So naturally Lambda is our compute. And mm-hmm. uh, we use other services like DynamoDB and uh, S3, of course, uh, CDN, like CloudFront, uh, API Gateway, and all that, uh, which comes with AWS. And we make it really easy for people who are not very familiar with serverless to get started because it can be overwhelming when you just mm-hmm. Google what serverless is, what a Lambda is, and then you're like, okay, I understand functions. But then you start developing something with it, like a project or a full-blown application where you need rendering and caches and static snapshots and stuff. And it becomes very complex and it can be really overwhelming for people who are new to this world. So WebAnit takes away that complexity and it gives a lot out of the box, like page builder, headless CMS, form builder, lots of mechanisms how you can uh, just uh, open the project and start developing new stuff without actually knowing a lot about the whole cloud, the whole serverless thing, and learn as you go. Cool. How long has it been since you started WebAnit? So it is now around two years in development. And uh, yeah, we pretty much jumped on the serverless ship as soon as it kicked off. It It just felt natural to us as we were never... Uh, big fans of managing infrastructure ourselves. It takes a lot of effort and knowledge, and we wanted to build apps. We want to build business logic and make people's lives easier with software, right? So serverless just took out the complexity of managing infrastructure for us. Right. What's your background in prior to Webany? For the past 10 years, Sven and I ran uh, a web agency. So we built dozens and dozens of different client projects, e-commerce, maritime, employment portals, stuff like that, like big custom applications, web shops. And so we tried a lot of tools that are currently available on the market from like 2010 all the way to to, to these days. And Mm. we were never uh, happy with with the set that is available. And we were always looking into improving our workflows. So that's why serverless was really interesting for us. Right. So you and Sven have been partners for over 12 10. years then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. We started together cool. at college and then we started the business together right after that. Right. And we developed so you met into what Webinar is. Yeah, yeah, we, cool. we met at college. <laughs> That's great. It's nice that you have someone that you can trust and someone to build a company oh, with definitely. you. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's almost even like rare to find one person that you work so well with that you can trust and build and is willing to help you build yeah that's great 
Cool. <laughs> and what was your degree in? So I, I have a master's degree in, uh, in uh, business information systems and computer okay. science. So it was like cool. a bachelor's degree in computer science than business information mm-hmm. systems. So right out of college then, did you both go, go right into entrepreneurship or? Well, Sven was the, the guy for uh, entrepreneurship. He, he was like all about business always, although he's really good at tech. I was the one more on the only tech side and Sven was doing business all, all oh, okay. so, uh, yeah although but he's you... a great coder himself and he's very much into tech and everything but for him uh it was just more natural to do business and i yeah. was more on the coding side cool and but did you start right after college on yeah the... immediately yeah it was oh, web wow. agency cool. right after that cool. uh, although we did have experience before starting that we did work for other companies uh, in the area to gain some junior level experience and and that and after that, we immediately started in the trenches, building projects, shipping them to clients. And yeah. Nice. That's like the dream, at least for me. <laughs> but I definitely yeah. had it was spent many years. It still working. is, but yeah. but yeah, but it's nice. It has, you know, pros and cons, like yeah. every job or career path. That's super cool. What was your very first job? Ever. I believe it was uh, in like in high school. I was renting yeah. uh, uh, like sun protective umbrellas, you know, on, uh, <laughs> on the beach because I'm from Croatia. During summer, I was literally the beach boy, you know, yeah, lending umbrellas. Yeah, <laughs> it's, cool. it's just cool to see like how far you've come, really. Oh yeah, I was I was switching jobs, not not because I was leaving them, but I was doing seasonal jobs because of mm-hmm. course education was the primary thing. And then I was just, I was taking any offer I could get, but it is great. It all builds up to your character, your work, like how you approach work, how serious you are about work. I'm yeah. glad I did travel that path. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, cool. So I want to talk to you today a little bit about AWS Lambda then, because that's primarily what WebNE yeah. is working with. Can you tell me what it does? So AWS Lambda is, it's like a virtual machine, which you don't set up and you just upload your code into it and you run it. It takes care of running the entire operating system in the background. You don't need to update any, any software. You just deploy your code and it executes it almost like magic. And uh, you pick how much uh, memory you need to execute it, uh, what the runtime limits are and timeouts and stuff like that. But you never need to set up a virtual machine, install a piece of software or anything like that. Cool. And what kind of applications might you make with AWS Lambda? So if you think about Lambda as your EC2 container or any virtual machine for that matter, it's a simple compute. So you can run anything on it. There are, of course, limitations. So I think it's easier to explain what's uh, not so suitable for Lambda than what is. So let's go f- from that direction. So okay. what's not very suitable for Lambda are long running operations because Lambda has a maximum runtime limit of 15 minutes. It means that if you have like video transcoding or something going on, which is taking a long time, you can't do that in a single Lambda execution because it will simply shut down. Long running operations are not the best for Lambda. And then Mm -hmm. you need to look into containers or um, building self-invoking Lambdas, which is just not, it's just not convenient. So um, that's one type of applications. And the other is web sockets. Like it can work, but it becomes very expensive at scale because to implement WebSockets, you also need to 
coordinated with API Gateway, DynamoDB. So it's not just Lambda. You need to start combining different resources and then it all adds to the total cost. And in the end, for really big applications that have massive traffic, it becomes uh, more expensive than running a virtual machine. Right. Okay. So are there any restrictions of coding serverless applications? Anything else? Coding of serverless apps requires a fundamental uh, mind shift. It's not the same how you approach serverless applications versus how we used to code when we had PHP or Python node, but in, in your regular virtual machine environment. For serverless, you need to think more in terms of events and how you are going to connect your function with other services, other databases, uh, especially non-serverless databases. Currently on the market, there are not so many serverless databases, like three or four. They are slowly catching up and beginning to develop. But like for AWS, it's only natural to use DynamoDB because it is actually serverless and it doesn't require a connection to be maintained between Lambda, which is currently running, and the database endpoint. We did have some experience running MongoDB, and we have a huge blog post on WebNU blog about it and how we tried to uh, overcome some of the limitations and problems. But it, it, it does require a lot of hacking and engineering around the problem instead of mm. uh, the problem being solved by the provider. So DynamoDB is a solution to that problem because it's available right there in your AWS cloud. You don't need uh, connections and you pay for what you use. So you don't need a, a, a database cluster running in the background. You just send right. a request for data or you write data to it and it scales infinitely just like Lambda does. So it's a perfect match. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I'm looking to build my application, why would I want to go with serverless versus on-prem? Yeah, there are, of course, pros and cons to both. The main advantages of serverless is, of course, that you have no hardware to maintain. You just don't need to worry about it. The hardware is sorted for you by the cloud provider. There is no software to update. You don't need to manage patches uh, and updates to your database service or mm. your operating system. No matter how hard users hit your service, be it an API or a website, uh, the cloud provider will scale automatically for you and then downscale if there is no traffic. You don't need to worry about it. If your blog post ends up on TechCrunch and a million users hit your website, you don't need to worry about, will my website survive this onslaught of visitors? Because it will. AWS will take care of it. Um, take care of it. it will upscale and downscale for you. And mm. you will just pay for the amount of requests served by uh, your Lambda. Not so in a way, for... then you're also saving money because you're not paying exactly. for like a, a exactly bucket that. of services. You yeah, pay you don't for need to worry use. about having uh, 10 virtual machines behind a load balancer just in case your blog post goes viral or something. You don't need to do that. And then it may never go viral, but you're still paying for it. With serverless, you're solving that problem and you're not overpaying and it will never fail because it will automatically scale. So that's uh, on the advantages side, right? But mm -hmm. uh, there are industries that have very strict uh, regulations around data privacy and security in the cloud in general. Right. Because serverless is powered by the cloud provider. So it means that it runs inside of some public cloud. So governments or banking, they will not be so eager running uh, on public cloud. 
And uh, there are also many companies that operate under some form of uh, regulatory control because they handle private health information, student records. There are other industry regulations that uh, just limit and define how you control your data. And those companies must always know where their data is at all times, while in the cloud, you can never tell. You have an endpoint or an API, you can ask for data, but can you really say where your data is? Mm -hmm and who has access to it. In that case, those companies uh, nowadays often opt in for a um, hybrid cloud approach where mm -hmm. the most sensitive parts of the system that are strictly regulated are run on-premise and they have their own data centers and, and they handle it uh, themselves. But those mm -hmm. less strict parts are hosted in the cloud and then they can, of course, use serverless or traditional you know, virtual machines or whatnot. But the right. point is, there is this just difference in security and data privacy control and, and stuff like that, which uh, in the end is the, the decisive factor for uh, going to cloud or staying on-prem. Okay. Is it possible to use AWS Lambda on private cloud? Interesting story, which will answer the question. We are talking to, to numerous enterprise clients and on the topic of data regulations, right? Mm -hmm. They have a strict requirement that their data stays within their data center. But yeah. a requirement is we, we have a complete replica of AWS uh, environment locally in our data center using Kubernetes. So they wanted to use WebNE because it only runs on AWS, but to, to run it on their local data center, which means that if you just think about uh, Lambda being something that executes your code, then you can effectively run it anywhere. It, it wouldn't effectively be AWS Lambda, but it would still be yeah. like a function as a service. Yeah. So okay. yeah, pe people are building all kinds of crazy things nowadays. And uh, even this private clouds thing with, with simulated services, which are 100% compatible with AWS, it's crazy. And it's amazing because the mm -hmm. amount of things it unlocks is, is really, it's really great. Okay. Cool. I have another question to follow up that as well then. Is it possible to be, say, like GDPR compliant on public cloud then? Yeah. Funny thing is that I, I personally don't know because mm. WebNE isn't a SaaS or anything like that. We yeah. only develop the framework and people mm -hmm. are hosting their applications inside their own accounts on AWS. Mm. So we never had to worry about, about the, that type of restrictions or control of, of data privacy. So we let our clients or users, our users handle that for themselves, yeah. the ones that are sensitive to that. Yeah, I think it must be in some sort of way. There must be some kind of like security control in public cloud that helps them. Or yeah, you can go for the hybrid cloud option as well. That's really interesting. So you want to move over to serverless. Well, WebNE is an open source serverless framework that abstracts away all of the serverless challenges and allows you to easily build solutions on top of the serverless infrastructure. It's completely free to use and self-hosted, so give it a try and see for yourself at webne.com. Okay, cool. Can I still make multiple applications work together when it's not hosted on-prem? Oh, absolutely. In the cloud or on-prem, in the end, it's all 
some kind of an API or a web server or something that communicates via network. So if you can send a request, then you can communicate with other applications. So yeah, it's definitely not uh, limited. There are no, no kind of like limitations or problems in that regard. Okay, cool. And what languages are supported with AWS Lambda? So the most popular one is Node.js, uh, but mm -hmm. Python is also there, Go, Ruby, Java, .NET. Those are the, the primary runtimes that AWS offers. Okay, cool. And how crucial would you say that planning would be for serverless applications? I think planning is quite important for any kind of application development. For serverless, it, it really depends on what you're building, especially in the early stage. Like you can get away with not planning too much at an like minimum viable product stage. If you're just developing a proof of concept, which you need to show to your I don't know, investor or potential client in a month, you could start uh, pretty immediately without very rigorous planning, especially if using tools like Webini, which set everything up for you, then you can start writing your business logic immediately. But planning does become important at, at a stage where your product is going to grow. And you then at that point, you need to plan for amount of requests uh, you plan to be getting. Is your application more of uh, a read nature or write nature, meaning do you just serve data or will there be a lot of uh, writes to your API? Those operations heavily influence how you architect things in the background, especially if you work with Elasticsearch, which is not serverless and you need to handle that kind of traffic in an asynchronous way and add uh, things like queuing into the mix. So uh, in that regard, it, it can become complex. So yeah, planning is definitely important when you are ready to build a production application. Right. And then what about with auto scaling? Let's say I knew that my TechCrunch article was coming out that would drive a lot of traffic to my website. Would I need to plan anything for that or does it just happen all automatically? It just happens. It just ah, happens. So, okay. uh, so say you get loads of traffic on your website or uh, Mm -hmm. Most of those requests will be served from a CDN, from CloudFront, but the ones that need to hit your API and in the end that request lands on your Lambda, once AWS sees that there are too many requests, it won't just shut down. It will instead spawn more Lambdas to handle all those requests. Two, three, four, 100, 200, doesn't matter. It will just keep spawning unless it can satisfy the demand. And once all the requests are settled and served, AWS monitors it for you. And if no more requests are coming in, it will just shut down the um, remaining lambdas if they're not okay. required, right? So it's, it's just happening, it's like magic. Right, okay, cool. Can you give an example of what someone might make with Webany? Yeah, out of the box with Webany, we provide a page builder, think, WordPress in a sense, mm -hmm. right? It's a visual page builder, which you can use to build landing pages and uh, even write blog posts and stuff like that. Then we have a headless CMS like Strapi or Contentful. You can model data right there and we expose it via GraphQL API. So there are many tools available out of the box uh, for you to use and combine. And uh, besides that, we provide a full setup for developers so they can uh, immediately start working on custom stuff and build their own APIs. Maybe they are developing a mobile application and need a custom API. 
they could use a headless CMS for that, or they can go in and build custom data models and use Dynamo to, to store that data to AWS, and it will all be exposed via uh, GraphQL. It's a framework to build anything you need, but we provide really good basics and uh, several apps out of the box. And one of the one of the really useful apps is the file manager, as we call it. It helps you hand upload and handle and transform resize uh, images, and it's integrated with all other apps like Headless CMS and Page Builder. So you you get a a good package to start with out of the box. And uh, we also handle things like pre-rendering. So your page is so each of your pages will be rendered into a static. HTML snapshot and stored in a cache, you are pretty much serving static content all the time, almost like Gatsby, if you want something to, to compare to, except Gatsby needs to rebuild the, the entire application on every change. And we took the pre-rendering approach where we are only rendering things that are changed and, and we store that. And there is of course an API exposed for that. So developers can utilize that service of ours to build more on top and uh, use it for other use cases. We may not even predict. Okay. I, I think I'm trying to like wrap my head around what an event could be, what the function might be, what right. it might connect to you. So what's an example of that? In terms of AWS, every, almost everything is an event, but if you translate mm -hmm. it to an older way of, of doing things, that would be your HTTP request. An HTTP request would travel to a, a CDN, then to API gateway, and then API Gateway knows that particular request needs to land on a Lambda. And then it packs it into a payload, which they call event. And your function is then executed with all the data and metadata about that HTTP request. And you get it in your uh, Lambda function to process. And then you can do whatever you want with it. But in case of a uh, API call, for example, you would load data from database and then return it to, to the requester, right? An event is just a payload to a function which uh, will be processed within the function itself. Okay, but this is very technical as well, right? Like your explanation is very technical, which is great, but I also want to know like a real life example of how this might work. Okay, yeah, let's say you are requesting a, a file, let's say it's a load like a logo mm -hmm. of your website. That okay. request will travel to a CDN. And then, okay. for example, you want your logo to be of exact size, let's say 300 pixels. But in your mm -hmm. system, it's uploaded as a larger image. So we need to resize it, right? We need to downsize it. In that case, your, your request will land on a Lambda function. And in the event, like as a payload to, to that function, you will receive information about the actual request to the file path, like you would receive it in an express application for Node.js or in a, any PHP framework. It's, it's simply a data about the HTTP request. And then you parse that request yourself. It's your problem to how you parse it. Mm -hmm. And you extract the important pieces of the request and instruct your code to transform it somehow. Again, it's all up to the developer what he wants to do with it. And then you return the new downsized image as a response to that request. And it's the same okay. with the, be it an HTML file, maybe it's just some JSON data. The request path is pretty much the same. It always goes CDN, API gateway, then Lambda. And in Lambda, the, your code is being executed, which does your magic. Right. Okay. So the event is that someone uploads the logo as the image and it recognizes that the function needs to 
yeah. downsize the image, yeah. right? Yeah, you, you can put it that way. Like any okay. an event is a simple uh, HTTP request, right? Yeah. Which in terms of AWS, it becomes an event. That's, right. that's how they call it. And for Lambda function, everything is an event and because uh, Lambda can be triggered in different ways. It doesn't have to be only HTTP requests. It can be a, a file being uploaded directly to S3 bucket. It can be a DynamoDB stream, uh, which is handling loads of uh, records. And then it, on every record, it can invoke a Lambda function to process that record. It can be a, an SQS trigger. There are many events and event sources in AWS that can trigger Lambda. Even, even Cognito, for example, if you want to verify or modify a JWT token on Cognito, for example, where somebody logs in, there is a bunch of triggers you can configure. And then during the authentication flow, those triggers will be executed. And then you can do some logic, augment the data on the JVT token or deny uh, user access, stuff like that. In, in terms of AWS, Lambda is like a glue Whenever you need some custom logic done mm -hmm. somewhere or connect services, you can link Lambda with many services as event sources, and it will be executed with a specific payload from that service. Okay, got it, got it. So you mentioned that with WebNE, you don't need a lot of, it's easy to use when you're a beginner, right? Yeah. What's the baseline technical knowledge that you would need to start building your serverless application with WebNE? Okay, so uh, the basic tools are Node.js, definitely. Mm -hmm. Everything is written in Node.js and TypeScript, uh, which makes it also slightly easier. GraphQL is our go-to uh, tool, so our APIs are all exposed via GraphQL. So knowledge with that will definitely help. And on the client side, we use React. So those three tools can get you started pretty, okay. pretty fast. Yeah. And if I wanted to learn more advanced functions with WebNE, what might I look at learning as well? Uh, so we are providing guides and tutorials on our docs where we, we really have step-by-step -step instructions on stuff. And then we also provide links to technology used in the, in the background. So uh, our docs are definitely a good place to, to start. But regarding technology itself, like the tools themselves that we use, mm -hmm. we use Pulumi as our infrastructure as code tool, which is, which is great. It allows us to deploy infrastructure to different clouds, not just AWS, which is important for us in the long run. And uh, it defines infrastructure using code, which is a lot easier to read for uh, developers than YAML config files. It's a lot mm -hmm. clearer. You just follow the code and you can exactly see which resources will be deployed to AWS. I wouldn't say you need a lot more knowledge in regards to technologies themselves, but just mm -hmm. getting to know the system because uh, the system is based on plugins and there are many plugins. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's just the process of discovery and grasping the whole thing, how stuff is connected. That thing can be overwhelming at the beginning. But uh, we have a great community. We have almost 800 community members on Slack. And the team is present there all the time. So if anybody wants to give WebNE a go, feel free to join our Slack. We are very responsive and the community is great. So there is no question is left unanswered. And we will always join and help with pointers and references and you know how to resolve problems, if any. Great. What kind of advice would you give to first-time serverless application developers? That's a good one. 
That's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had someone give me advice on that when we started. I would just say, take it step by step. Cloud in general is complex and cloud vendors have uh, their own terms for things that are effectively the same across cloud providers. And it can just be intimidating. If you just start reading blog posts, you will run into dozens of terms that are completely unfamiliar to you. Don't feel discouraged. Definitely not. Take it step by step. And uh, yeah, just start building something because you learn best when you build it. And it, it was the same with Webini. Two years ago, Lambda also had so many problems with cold starts and no, no blog posts about how to use it. We had to experiment a lot ourselves. Nowadays, like I'm saying nowadays, like it's 10 years ago, it's just two years. It developed so much. It's crazy. Yeah. There are many resources. There is a, a cloud gurus uh, educational platform where you can learn a lot about all clouds. And uh, you just need to start getting your hands dirty. That's all. Just start learning, start building small stuff, then expand. And uh, yeah, you'll get there. There is unfortunately no really easy way to just magically learn everything. You just need to build it. Great. I, so I know that AWS Lambda was first announced or launched back in 2014. Why do yeah. you think that it got so popular so fast in the past few years? It solves a problem of quick experiments and prototyping, especially for freelancers and, uh, and small companies who just need to build something quickly. Lambda was an amazing sandbox, which allows you to deploy your code, execute it and forget about it because you're not paying for your code sitting uh, there, right? You create your Lambda, you upload your code and if you don't use it, you never pay for it. So it's amazing like for developers. You can flush out 10 ideas in one hour just by using Lambda and not spinning up server and then syncing stuff with rsync or FTP or whatnot. So it's, I guess, the speed of iteration, like how fast you iterate over your ideas and, and your code is what made it popular in the end. But of course, all the advantages we mentioned, like auto scaling, pricing, the way how, you, how it's priced and just that fundamental maintenance and effort around having a runtime it's all gone i can just deploy my code so i think that's that's one of the key things that uh, really made it popular right okay pavel thank you so much for joining the podcast if our listeners want to find you where can they look uh, you can find me on twitter spelled exactly as uh, my name and on the webini.com community slack i'm hanging out there seven days a week so <laughs> Come chat with me, uh, ask questions. I'll be glad to answer and help. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate five stars and tell your friends. You can find us at Hacker Noon on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And I will talk to you everyone next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>